Naomi is going to come and read to us this morning. So our chat was so this season we are looking at relationships. We thought it would be a good idea to look at relationships in the Bible and how they relate to us and uh, underpinned by our relationship with God, uh, especially as we're all coming back together. Um, we thought it might be a good idea to have a look. So this morning we are looking at Sarah and Hagar in uh, Genesis chapter 16. So Naomi's going to come and read uh, for us the whole chapter and then I will speak. Morning everybody. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, beautiful. Thank you, Naomi. Oh, let me just get myself slightly organised. I'm going to come down here because it feels better. So, there we go. So before I start, I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to wait for something so desperately that you want, and you've been told it would happen, but then absolutely nothing. And so then you come up with the bright idea of taking matters into your own hands. 
and that's when it starts to unravel. Well, as we've heard this morning, this is the story of uh, Sarah. I'm, she was called Sarah at the time of um, this particular chapter, but later in the chapter, her name is changed to Sarah, and that's how I've written it. So if I say Sarah, I'm talking about the same woman. Just bear with me. Um, so uh, Sarah was the wife of Abraham. Now, in this chapter, he was called Abraham because this was before the Lord had changed both of their names. It's quite a long story, and this is just a snapshot of it. So once again, I'll be referring to him as Abraham. They'd been married a long time, and Sarah was barren. She wasn't able to have children. And in those days, if you weren't able to have children, it would have been deemed the woman's fault, categorically. And uh, there was no testing or no, there was no ability to find out what the problem might have been. So uh, the fact that she couldn't conceive although it might not have been her fault, she would have felt the shame of that and the weight and feeling of inadequacy. So Sarah and Abraham had left their family to travel to a place where God was leading them many miles from their home. They had a nomadic lifestyle, so they were always on the move. They had livestock and they had servants, but they had no children. They were also getting pretty old. So Sarah was in her late 70s at this point and Abraham nearly 90. The Lord had met Abraham and had made him a promise that he would be the father of a great nation. And nations in those days were more tribal rather than geographical. Um, But Abraham was quite puzzled because not having any children, how could he be the father of a nation? But he chose to trust in what the Lord had told him. And this would have taken a huge step of faith because it must have seemed utterly impossible And undoubtedly, Abraham would have gone home and had a chat with Sarah about these things. Sarah perhaps would have given up on ever being a mother at that point. So I wonder how she felt. I guess a curious mix of disbelief and excited hope, maybe. And as time passed, nothing happened. I imagine that Sarah's desperation would have reached new heights to a place which required desperate measures. Now, culturally, in those days, if a woman was unable to have children, they had this idea that they could ask someone to be a surrogate, someone in their household. And it wouldn't have been a surrogate today where, you know, I don't think it happens in this country, but in America, you have surrogate mothers who can, uh, they get given money and all their healthcare costs and everything. They would have been really well looked after. But in those days, it would have been more of a demand from mistress to servant. And in this case... Sarah thought it was a really good idea to present her young Egyptian servant, Hagar, to Abraham and say, we can have a child through her. I don't know. We don't know if Hagar was willing or not or what Sarah's relationship with her was like. But at that time, it was definitely mistress and servant, so Hagar probably wouldn't have had a choice. And I think Sarah was probably so set on doing things her way to bring about the promise that she probably didn't think about it. And when I read this passage, I was thinking, I don't think I really like Sarah. I don't know. There's something about her. I just think, yeah, she doesn't warm to me, you know. Uh, that, yeah, how can she willingly present a young girl to her husband and demand that she sleeps with him? I imagine she must have had a heavy heart, but she was willing to go through it to get what she wanted. I don't know, but to me, it's a very extreme solution to the problem. And in my opinion, in today's society, none of that would have been acceptable on those terms. But as I said, it was a cultural norm back then. 
And as for Abraham, what must he have thought? I don't know. He obviously had a very determined wife and he could see that. And I can really imagine that Sarah probably spent time convincing him that it would be okay. That, you know, if he slept with Hagar and she fell pregnant, they'll get their child. And he may just have thought his luck was in. I don't know. But maybe he saw it as a way to encourage and bless his wife in some weird way. Who knows? But, um, yeah, it happens. Hagar falls pregnant. And then it says in the Bible that actually she begins to despise Sarah. And uh, Sarah's obviously not happy about that. So Sarah obviously starts to despise Hagar as well. Now, I would imagine that her plan has come to fruition. Hagar is pregnant. And then she's suddenly thinking, oh, what if Abraham starts, you know, to favor her rather than me? I don't know. It all went horribly wrong anyway. So Sarah then complains to Abraham that it's all his fault, which probably, no, you know. um, And Abraham's no help at all because he actually turns around and says, well, you know, she's your servant. You deal with it and then lets her get on with it. So then Sarah mistreats Hagar, which is unacceptable, but so much so that Hagar runs away. There is no excuse for bad behavior. You can imagine that Sarah is actually deeply jealous and probably fearful that Abraham would favor Hagar. And I think it's a complete mess at this point. But anyway, Hagar flees, and that's when she encounters an angel who talks to her and tells her to go back and to submit to her mistress, which is a really, really big ask, I think. Um, But Hagar, you know, was faithful, and she did that. She's comforted by this encounter with this angel and the promise that God will bless her child and bless uh, their descendants. Although, when I was reading that description, it didn't look like a great future for Ishmael, being a wild donkey of a man, but, you know... It's, it's one of those things. Um, but anyway, I think the thing is that as she encountered this angel of the Lord, she realized that the God of Abraham was the God who sees her as well, who could see her plight, who could come into her situation and offer blessing, even though it's their difficult situation. So then Hagar gave birth to this little boy and she named him Ishmael as she was told to. Thirteen years later, the Lord appeared to Abraham again and set out his covenant with him. And the following year, Sarah finally gave birth to her son, Isaac. That can be found in chapter 21. Abraham was 100 years old. Can you imagine how tired you must feel at 100 years old to have a newborn baby? And Sarah was about 90, which, again, the same applies. You know, I'm tired and I'm half that age. When Isaac was weaned, around two years old... Isaac would have been maybe 16 at the time. She caught him mocking. I don't know, it doesn't say exactly what he was mocking in the Bible, but something in Sarah snapped and she demanded that Hagar and Ishmael were to leave the camp for good. So she sent them on their way. And Abraham was concerned, obviously, Ishmael's his son. He didn't want them to leave, but they had to go. So he gives them some provisions to leave the camp uh, out of concern for his son, I should think. Uh, she, it runs out and she's distraught. But actually God meets her again later in the chapter. He meets her again in her distress and reminds her of this promise that he has to make um, uh, Ishmael into a great nation. And so this, this morning is a very whirlwind 
kind of snapshot of what's going on. Uh, it's a great book, Genesis. It's, uh, there's lots of story in there, and it's kind of the foundations for our faith. If you get a chance to read it, please do. But when we were looking at which relationships we could do cover this term as a team, it seemed like a good idea to include Sarah and Hagar. It's like, oh, that's a great relationship. And then the more I researched, the more I'm thinking, this just doesn't feel very positive. What can, you know, what is there positive that we can say about this? But I think there are things um, that we can draw out from it. There are themes that we can take and think about. You know, I think in the days of uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, there was a lot of issues that social services would have, um, you know, time for them. Uh, but actually, we have to remember we've come a very long way from there and everything has changed. But these are the themes that I've drawn out from this story. So sometimes we find in life, we find ourselves in a situation where something seems impossible. Abraham had no children, yet he was promised to have more descendants than grains of sand. Well, that's a lot of people. God can do the impossible. What might not seem possible for us is very possible for God. Sarah conceived at the age of 89. That can only be a divine intervention. And in Luke, 30, in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, it says that no word from God will ever fail. So when God speaks, he can breathe life into things. So what's impossible for man is possible for God. We shouldn't ever underestimate God's power. And I think, you know, sometimes we do. It's very easy to kind of humanize God and think that we're limiting what he can do for us in any situation. He goes before us in everything. He's already there. He's beyond time. And so we need to trust his timing because his timing in life is perfect, even if we don't agree with him. The second thing is that taking matters into our own hands might not have the best outcome. We might think it does, but what seems like a good idea at the time might not work out so well. Sarah was so desperate to fulfill the promise that she rushed ahead of God's timing to bring it about. This resulted in more than one person's pain. We don't ever find out if Sarah and Hagar reconciled, but later in the chapter, it tells us that when Abraham died, both his sons, Abraham, uh, Ishmael and Isaac were there to bury him. So they must have maintained some sort of connection or relationship between the boys at least. When reconciliation doesn't happen, it can be really hard to come to terms with. In Romans, it tells us to live peaceably with people as far as we're able. If we've tried to reconcile, but it's been unsuccessful, as long as we've tried everything to make amends, including praying about it, taking it to God, asking for forgiveness, forgiving those who have hurt us. We can only do what we can do. If we can be anything at all, we should be kind. It's a known thing that hurt people hurt people. Sarah beat Hagar. It's not acceptable. But she was a woman on the edge. My, in my experience, if someone's been prickly, there might be a really good reason each one of us has a backstory, and we don't necessarily know what it is. So generally speaking, we should believe that people are doing the best they can at any given moment. They're on the side of kindness, and it might just change someone's day. I think if someone has hurt us in some way, 
and or trauma has happened to us in some way, it's really difficult. And if actually you're finding yourself in that situation, or may I encourage you, A, to pray about it, maybe visit the well, but it might need to go a bit deeper than that. If something you know, has caused deep trauma or damage, then um, maybe get some professional help because actually you don't want it just niggling away inside because it will make you ill. So sometimes, yeah, we need professionals. So God moves in these um, mysterious, unhuman ways. He can work in any situation and he can bring good out of it. He blessed Hagar by making Ishmael into a great nation. He is actually the forefather of the Arab nations. God heard her distress and he comforted her. And he provided a way forward for when she left the camp. But the Lord also blessed Sarah by giving her her much longed for child. He showed compassion and mercy towards her and despite her ill treatment of Hagar. And she was a key member of the lineage of Jesus. God will work out his purpose in spite of our efforts to derail him. He doesn't need our help to fulfill his purpose, but each one of us has a part to play and he invites us to join in. If we make a hash of it, God can redeem it and he can still bring it about to fruition. There's a lovely meme that I saw on Facebook once and I saved it because I thought it's a good reminder that says when God put a call on your life, he already factored in your stupidity might be a bit harsh but actually it's just a good reminder that you know he knows us we can't wait to be perfect before we can jump in and get involved you know because that's never going to happen so actually he asked us to do stuff in spite of knowing what we're really like this is great comfort to me definitely so when we make mistakes it's not a surprise to him he knows already and he can turn these things around for the greater good So, how do we cope when our relationships are tricky? I was thinking about this, and I think there's a really good um, passage in the New Testament in the book of Romans that really helps. We can find some very sound advice for living in Romans 12, which help us in all of our relationships, actually, and it teaches us about love in action. And if you can see our new logo, you can see we've even nabbed some verses from that as part of it. So in Romans 12, verse 10, it says that love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We underpin everything with love. You know, we're doing our best. That's as good as we can do. In verse 12, it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Again, really sound advice. It's not easy to be joyful, but actually we can be joyful because we know that we've got God on our side. In verse 17, it says, Don't repay anyone evil for doing evil. Be careful to do what is right by everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. And I've put in brackets, however tempting that might be. You know, we must try and be forgiving you know the lord's prayer says forgive us our sins as we forgive others you know it's biblical we are to try and forgive each other when things go wrong in verse 20 of that chapter it says if your enemy is hungry feed them 
If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Seems a little extreme, but actually if you offer kindness in all situations, you won't go far wrong. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I find this passage really helpful as it outlines how we should live well. It's not easy, and no one, it was never meant to be easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't have needed Jesus in the first place. But it, you know, it's, a, it's a good way to go. It helps us to be the best we can. And if we find ourselves in hard situations, if we're doing the best we can, that's all that's required of us. God says that. We can't be all things to all people, but we can be the person that God created us to be. And we can act in love, just as he has acted with the greatest love for us.